You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Loretta was, ooh, Loretta was nervous as a cat there. To, we could turn me down. Thank you. Uh, Loretta was super nervous to get up there, so she did well. Thank you for working outside of what you're normally used to, Loretta. Um, I will tell you that we prayed for you this morning, Loretta, and Vinny, and uh, it's pretty much Mark's fault because this was Mark's prayer. He said, Lord, we just want the Holy Spirit to fall on Loretta, give her confidence, Vinny, and give her confidence, and then our computer not working this morning, so it had to take his strength to get it done, you know what I'm saying? So good job, girl. Way to get up there and, and, and work. And I'm telling you, friends, uh, I told her, I mean, this is a very loving place and, and people love you. And so you know that if you're coming up here and you're having to sing or whatever you have to do, Jan, Jan was, Jan was about ready to run out the back door. <laughs> I said, Jan? And she was like, no. Anyway, what it, but the people love you. And it's a lot easier to do when you stand in front of people that love you. So I, I, I will say it's a lot easier. Um, it's hard when people are critical of you or dismissive of you, but it's easy when they love you, okay? All right. So what we're going to be this morning is in First Peter, going back to chapter 3. And we're going to focus on this aspect of baptism. First Peter 3, it says in, in um, verse 21, there's also an antitype which now saves us, that is baptism. Not the removal of the filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. There's a number of baptisms that come to mind when we read in this passage but this is very particular, and we'll see how it finishes in chapter 4, that it talks about a flood. So there's, there's an Old Testament baptism that's related, related to an early New Testament baptism that's related to the baptism that we receive today as believers. And I wanted to kind of go through those and help us to understand that. I've read over the years about baptism, especially and experienced in the New Testament church. I read in the Bible all through the book of Acts, baptism, baptizing. They, they received the word and they wanted to be baptized with an Ethiopian eunuch. He received the word. What keeps me from being baptized? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you may. He goes, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then I see nothing that would hinder us from baptizing you. So they take the guy out of his chariot and baptize him whatever the water looked like on the side of the road in the desert. I'm sure it was delightful. And he gets in. This guy's like a king. I mean, this is like a high-ranking guy. And they baptize him on the side of the road. And he says, he gets back in his chariot and he goes away glad. Doesn't talk about him receiving the Holy Spirit. It talks about him receiving Christ, understanding who Christ was, and receiving baptism. And he goes away glad. Other places in the New Testament and Acts, you see him receive the baptism, water baptism. And then you see them receive the Holy Spirit. Other places they receive baptism, salvation, but no Holy Spirit. Paul comes to them later and lays hands on them. It's not about this baptism that's being spoken about here is not the aspect of the Holy Spirit's baptism, okay? This is a particular uh, physical act right here. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is also a baptism of sorts, but it's not what's being talked about here. So we're going to focus on what this is talking about, and we'll talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit at a later time. Knowing this, let's read 1 Peter 3, starting at verse 18, and then we'll read through 4, verse 4. 1 Peter 3, 18, and in 4 th uh, through 4, verse 4. We're going to be here, we're going to be in Genesis this morning, mostly. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, 
but made alive in the Spirit. I'm sorry, alive by the Spirit. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There's also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange, those that are still in those, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Uh, it's a lot going on here, but it's... I hope that you find this as interesting as I did and as and as helpful to you um, in regards to baptism, being baptized, or, or being obedient in baptism, how important it is. I've really seen this. I, I haven't seen it in the United States like I have seen it in Africa, South America, and, and poorer places. When we have so much, I'm not... God bless America. Man, may God bless America. May his light still shine on us. Have mercy on us, Lord, for being godless and shiftless and lazy and whatever. All the terrible things we are, we've rejected him. But God has blessed America greatly with financial things, material things, physical things. However, I'm going to tell you that the hope that people have in Christ in third world countries is much greater than the people have in the United States of America, tragically, because we re rely on material, physical things to pay for what we need. I need new pants. <laughs> I need new pants, JJ. I go to Walmart, and I give them green paper, and they give me new pants. I need a new car. I go to the car dealer. I give them green paper. They give me new pants or new car. I go wherever. I'm hungry. Oh, they probably, they'll take your pants over there. <laughs> they'll take everything you got. But anyway, and, you know, whatever. I need whatever I need. I need medicine. Then I go to the doc, and I give him green paper, and he gives me medicine, right? And I fail to involve God in any way, in any decision of the things that I need. He says that, you know, didn't I clothe the lilies of the field better than Solomon in all his glory? Yeah, I mean, if he can clothe the lilies and he can clothe Solomon, he can clothe you. But we don't ever ask him for clothes. We don't ever ask him for the things that we need. We go, we get, we get a sniffle, we go to walk-in clinic. We, got a thing. we never pray first and then go. We go, and if nothing else works, then we pray. It's the opposite of how it should be, tragically. But in South America, I've seen it to be far different. And those people are desperate to be baptized. We get saved, and we're like, ah, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I want you to baptize. Maybe my cousin could come. And... Man, it's about obedience, and we're going to see that. Christ says, go unto all nations and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always. Go, make disciples. The guy accepts Christ. Baptize. Then teach. Baptize first, then teach. We say, well, baptize isn't important to salvation. 
It's important to obedience. We'll get to that. It's not the washing of the filth from the flesh, but it's the answer of a good conscience towards God. We baptized people in Africa with the crocodiles in the water. They made fun of my whiteness there, told me how white I was. The black people there are black. They're that black. They're black, black. And when I took off my pants to baptize them, they all started laughing and pointing. That's why they call you white people. Look how white you are. I'm like, hey, man, you're kind of hurting my feelings here, man. I, I never was so ashamed of being a white guy. I mean, but, but the water was awful. They couldn't wait to get in there. In Peru, we, we baptized a guy in a canal, and the mosquitoes were eating me alive, and the uh, cocodrilos, they call them, they're, they're croaking down the crocodiles, the alligators. They're down here making noise, piranhas in the water. And we baptize them there. And then Pastor Elias sang songs till I had to yell at him so he would let us out of the water because the mosquitoes were eating me. They're dying to get murky, nasty water. The Ethiopian eunuch was dying to get in that water. Wash me and make me clean. And we have the opportunity to be baptized in, in pools in churches or in our nice, clean... I mean, we got nice water in Tennessee, nice, clean lakes for streams or whatever and we're like ah, i'll put it off no big deal it's important the act of baptize uh, baptism or, or being baptized by, by another is not about getting physically clean and i want you to see that today it's not just about the picture of being buried with christ in death you know that being baptized in obedience to christ is absolutely it, you don't realize this you don't realize the supernatural warfare that you're involved in and it's actually like a slap to the face to the evil one when you in obedience are baptized because it's you're removing your soul from his hand and you're putting it in christ's hand for his care and protection your soul is vitally important i don't understand it i don't understand because these are things that are too great for me but the soul of man is so important that from the beginning of time and the flood god sorrowed over the flood God sorrowed over the, the, the Egyptians that drowned in the Red Sea flood. He sorrowed over the lives of the Amorites who, when their sin was complete. He sorrowed for those. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He doesn't want us to die. He doesn't want our soul to be separated from him forever. And the evil one, at the same time, was willing to be cast to the earth in order to gain the souls of men. Your soul is vitally important. I don't understand it. I don't understand why it's so important. It has value greater than gold, diamonds, whatever. And God is willing to give his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He takes the soul of the worthless, low-down, dirty dog man and he lifts it up and he carries it and he keeps it for himself. And so when you are baptized, not only are you with the confession of the mouth, believing in the heart, God raising from the dead, you will be saved. But when you're baptized... There's a, it's a direct slap to the face of the devil, the evil one, Satan, whatever you want to call him. It's a direct slap saying, I'm taking myself from the earth and I'm putting myself in the heavenlies. I'm taking myself out of your hand and I'm putting myself in God's hand. And Christ says, I'll take you. And he holds on to you. It's a big deal. So even that might be a simplification of the work of baptism but as we get if we get too far in that we'll get off track but first peter 3:20 it says who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of noah while the ark was being prepared 
in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Go to Genesis chapter 6. That's where Noah's flood is, is in Genesis 6. Where's Noah's flood? Okay, Genesis, somebody heard it. Okay, Genesis 6. There's a lot going on in Genesis 6, and I know we worked on Genesis a while back. There is, there is Old Testament, New Testament principles happening from the beginning, and we, we overlook them oftentimes because we don't understand the original language as well. It's not our fault. We can't help it. We're one language people. We could work on that, I suppose. Uh, starting in verse 8, it says, remember it said, in First Peter it says that while the ark was being prepared, a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. The earth, 6 verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. We just read, baptism, not the washing of the filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. The work, part of the work of baptism is the washing of corruption, the washing of filth from the thing immersed. The, the word baptism, it's, it's baptizo, the Greek, but it just all it means is to be fully immersed. That's why the Catholic baptism is, is wrong, okay? They take a baby and they sprinkle it with water and say, you've been baptized. Or a small child and they dedicate him and he sprinkles more. It's That's not baptism. It's something else. It might, it might not be bad, but it's not baptism. To be baptized is to be taken and put under the water and then to be pulled back up. Uh, Pastor Elias, we were baptizing some people in a river. Man, there was trash floating down on this river. There was a little hole there, and it was flowing and whatever. And uh, he's like, Dale, you're not, you're not getting them under deep enough. Well, they float kind of, you know. They're small, but they're floaty. And so <laughs> he's like, get them under, man. Mas profundo, mas profundo. Okay, whatever. So this little Loretta-sized lady comes up there, and she was very floaty. And he's like, <laughs> so I just put my hand around her chest and just all the way to the bottom. It's to be immersed. And she came up. I would have been mad. But she came up and said, oh, thank you, Pastor. For, okay, it's better at the bottom. You want to be fully immersed. That's the picture. And it starts right here in Genesis chapter 6. The earth was corrupt. You know what the first baptism was? It wasn't Noah. It was the earth. The earth was completely covered, completely immersed in water. The second baptism was Noah's ark. The, the ark was completely covered with water. It doesn't, I mean, you can see when the ark was covered, it was so, it wasn't a little light sprinkly rain that came down. The earth separated. The foundations of the deep were broken open. I mean, water's coming like you've never seen water. It's a dam bursting in every direction from the ground and from the sky. The windows of heaven opened up, it says, and it just poured. So the ark was covered top and bottom. It was completely immersed. That's the second baptism. The first was the earth. The earth was fully corrupted. And behold, verse 17, I myself... God, I myself, am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on earth shall die. It will be baptized just like the old man is baptized, buried with Christ in death. It's all going to die. The old needs to die and the new needs to be restored. 
So in baptism, if we looked at Romans chapter 6, the Lord makes a provision for life. Even in death, he makes a provision for life. Therefore, we were buried with him, Christ, through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Dead, made alive. It says, Genesis 6, verse 19, and of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring, and it starts about two and seven. Did you know that there's two kinds of, two groups of animals? There was the two animals and the seven animals. A bunch of clean animals for a sacrifice later were taken on the ark as well. But here's the thing. If you want to live, the things that want to live, they got on the ark. The things that didn't want to live, they stayed on the earth. You get, do you get it? The, the first aspect of baptism is you've got to want to live. You've got to want to live. We, we, we want the salvation given by Christ, but we don't want to give up the dead. We don't really want to live. We, we say we want to live, but we're not willing to give up the dead stuff. There's the washing of the body. There's the washing of the ark. There's the washing of the earth. And when the earth was removed, when the water was removed from the earth, it was re- it was renewed to newness of life it was a bare slate it says the what does it say the roots of the mountains were exposed you ever seen the mountains the mountains in the first creation i dare say this is a guess but i'm probably right they were smooth they were covered with earth they had growing things all over them go look at the mountains now they're terribly eroded with ravines and, and ridges and stuff from the water erosion. The roots were, exp- the core of the mountain was exposed, tragically. So it can't, the mountainsides don't produce every green uh, fruit good for food. It doesn't produce that anymore. It just produces some pine trees and, and whatever, black flies. So the tricks with baptism here is the first is that the earth is baptized with water. Because it's going to be renewed and renovated. The second thing is this ark. This ark has a really interesting word, and it's pitch. The Lord tells Noah, Noah to cover the ark, verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. The word pitch is a, it's a two, it's two different words even in that sentence. If you could see it in the Hebrew, it's slightly different words, two different words. There's inside pitch and outside pitch, like baseball. There's two pitches, inside pitch and outside pitch. Inside pitch uh, means bitumen. It's just tar. Outside pitch is bitumen with henna. It's two different coatings, okay? Inside pitch uh, means to appease, the word pitch here in the Hebrew, to appease, clean, disannul, forgive, be merciful, and pacify. The outside pitch means redemption, atonement, a cover, a ransom, or a son of money, a sum of money. The pitch of the ark provides two things. The inside provides forgiveness, and the outside provides atonement. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when he's talking about this, when he speaks to Peter, however he spoke to Peter to write that down, Peter's talking about this when he's talking about the baptism. The person that was inside the ark was saved, He was covered with forgiveness, protected by forgiveness. He was saved on the outside, on the inside, protected by forgiveness, on the outside by the atonement. 
Christ imputed righteousness on the man where God no longer, you're covered with pitch. You're covered with atonement on your outside so that when you do the things that you do and Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, he says, uh, I, I know, that's, that's what he does. I used Charles as the example the other day. Uh, we have to use somebody else, but uh, we'll use Alva. He likes to be the example. But, but these days, when Alva sins and Christ says, and, and Alva's, and the Father's sitting here and the Son's at his right hand and the Father, that's your boy Alva, and Christ looks at him and says, that's right, he's covered with my righteousness. And God says, that's what I see. That's all he can see. If he could see us, if he should hold our iniquities against us, who could stand? Nobody could stand. Only by being covered with the pitch, the atonement of Christ, the pure righteousness of Christ, can we stand before God and not be ashamed. You're going to be ashamed. But you're not going to be ashamed as you're going to be ashamed if you don't have the atonement of Christ on yourself. You stand before the Lord God Most High and he starts replaying. Think about it just for a second. Don't think too long. You'll get yourself depressed. Just let the videotape run in your mind, the worst thing you ever did. Now stop. Remember that the videotape is going to play. It's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. The videotape's going to play. He's going to plug it into your thing and out your eyes is going to come the videotape. And everything that you ever did will be displayed. And he's going to say, okay, why do I let you in? And the only thing you can do is can you back, fast, backtrack to that part this videotape's kind of an old thing, but you had to fast forward and rewind and you had to wait. But go back to the part where Jesus was on the cross and I fell at his feet as a dead man and I asked for his mercy and he provided grace and comfort to me and he saved me. Okay, come on in. Come on in, you slacker. <laughs> Join my other slackers. May your joy be full, whatever. Come on in. No, it's, it's going to be greater than that. But the fact that, he, that he'll cover us with atonement, it's miraculous. But this Old Testament picture, I dare say, if I had to guess, if I was guessing, I'd tell you that the cross was probably made of gopher wood. If it was in Noah's day, I'd say it was in Jesus' day. Prior to what Tennesseans say about the dogwood, I'm pretty sure it's gopher wood. Unless gopher wood is a dogwood. Um, so every living thing that desires life, I added that part, you shall bring into the ark. If I got to chase the animal to get him into the ark, you ain't coming into the ark. You better come over here and want to get in the ark. You ever try to catch something? It took me a whole day to catch a goat the other day. I ended up getting a scratch on my arm from that devil. He didn't want to be caught. The stuff that wants to live gets in the ark. The people that wanted to live, it was open. It was huge. If you ever go to the ark museum, you see how gigantic it is. You're like, there's plenty of room for lots of people. But only eight desired to get into the ark to be number one forgiven and number two atoned for it's a really serious picture there first corinthians six twenty. for you are bought with a price therefore glorify god in your body and in your spirit which is god you are purchased one of the words for atonement is ransom a price was paid jesus christ gave his life a ransom for many a price was paid God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Christ paid a terrible price. The earth paid a terrible price that Noah and eight people could be saved. The world paid. There was a price to pay. It was a large sum of money. It was all of creation that God made, and he was willing to wipe it away so that one righteous man and his family could be saved. 
Think about that. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. It's the same story. That the whole world might be saved, if they choose. Daniel said this morning, you know, I wish people could look at these, these rocks that look like a cross. Um, if they could just see those rocks, maybe they'd be saved. Maybe Daniel uh, found Christ through that rock that's all creation crying out, proclaiming the name of God through his creation. But, but the Bible also tells us that even if someone came back from the dead, men would not believe. If they're not going to believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day, came back from the dead, and has the power over death, they're not going to believe the rock. They're not going to believe it. They're not going to believe the preaching. They're not going to believe the testimony. They're not going to believe the Bible tract. They're not going to believe when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on the earth? No. Because if they wanted to believe, they'd already got in the ark. It's a big deal. In general, in the Bible, water is seen... Uh, standing water is seen as judgment. Um, rain is seen as a blessing. But, you know, too much anything is not good. Too many candy bars makes for a fat kid. Too much rain makes for a flood. They just, it's, in this case, standing water is a terror to men. It is judgment. Many people say, um, they're like, oh, I love the beach. I, yeah, you like the beach. You like the beach. Take it from me. I was a scout swimmer for two years in Marine Corps. When they take you in the ocean, and it's about 2 in the morning, and they drop you about 2 miles from the shore and make you swim in with all your stuff, and you realize that the only thing you are is something small and edible to large sea-going creatures, it is terrifying. And you go out there, and you're on a big cruise ship, that's cool. Now let somebody throw you over the side and see how cool it is. It's terrifying to be in the, the power of the ocean. It's judgment. The men of old saw it as judgment. The seafaring men saw the ocean as judgment when when um, uh, uh, jonah was tossed over the side they were throwing him into judgment and they knew it and they didn't want to be responsible for his judgment if they weren't correct that's why it was such a big deal it's judgment it's terror yeah getting a riptide you know what a riptide is man you can be goofing around on your surfboard and before long you're two miles out and you can't figure out how to get back in um it's a big deal it's terrifying the judgment. Noah's Ark, like I told you, is basically a submarine. We think of it as a boat that sits on top of the water. But initially, those people were in a washing machine. As the waters are coming up from the earth, um, verse 7, let's see how it said there. The flood waters, uh, let's see. In the 600th year of Noah's life, 7 verse 11, in the second month, 17th day of the month. So there's an actual date. Just one thing that proves the Bible true is there's in general, there's actual dates to the things that happen, and you could actually track them. The Jews actually measure time to this date. Um, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain that was on the earth for 40 days and 40. It only rained 40 days. But it between the fountains of the deep and the rains, the windows of heaven unleashing, the breaking of the firmament or whatever happened, coming down so much water was produced in 40 days that the highest point on earth was covered with water to a point that people couldn't swim the waters verse 18 prevailed and greatly increased on the earth and the ark moved about the waters and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered verse 19 and the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered verse 20 
all flesh died that moved on the earth. The earth was baptized completely. 15 cubits, if it was the 20-inch cubit, 15 times 2, that'd be 3, it'd be 300, what would that be? It'd be 300 plus inches of water uh, above the top of the highest point on earth, wherever that was. No, it doesn't necessarily have to be Everest at that time, it could be somewhere else. Okay, so the water came up so fast that the ark was as much under the water as it was on top. It was tossed about like a, you know, when you young people, old people that used to do fun stuff like make paper boats and stick them in the stream. It's like that. It's just, I mean, they were in a washing machine, I'm sure. It was, they were completely baptized. How do you like when you're a kid? I'm sure it happened. It happened to most guys because older guys do this to younger guys, and that is they hold you underwater. You like that? You like it when they hold you underwater? And it's not your will to be under the water. Um, when I baptized, where's Hope? Is she in here? She's out gooping around. Um, when I baptized Hope, I'm telling you, it was like baptizing an octopus. She, the it was real wild and rainy, and there was a lightning on her. And I had a hold of her, and I was trying to baptize her. She had like a toe on the edge of the pool. Her hand was on the, it was rough getting her in the water, man. She was fighting back. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was wild. We got her in there. Took three men and a boy to get her under the water, but we got her. I think I called Keith in or something. Somebody helped me anyway. So, so that first baptism is a picture, even in that, of it's not, you know, being put under the water in some ways against your will. Nobody likes to be held under. They hold your nose and they hold you under. It, you know, we have fear. Being covered with water means death. If you're covered with water too long, it means death. Is that not true? You can't breathe it. It's not just the removing of the filth from the flesh. So let's look at the second baptism. Go to Matthew 3. Jesus Christ goes to John the Baptist. John the Baptizer is a better, better word. He wasn't a Baptist. He didn't go to the Baptist Convention. He was just a believer in Christ, which is what I like to profess our, our fellowship as. 3 verse 13. Jesus came up from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. It can't be, it can't be, listen, baptism can't be about the removal of filth. It's not about bathing. It's not about the removal of filth from the flesh because Jesus, his body, the Bible says, never saw corruption. We read in Genesis that the earth was completely corrupted in every way. In fact, the way it, it presents it, in a sense, is it wasn't just that all men were corrupted by the influence of the Nephilim or, or whatever was going on, the sons of God and the, you know, and the daughters of men. It was more than that. Even the animals, it seems, have been, they would have crossbred and done with stuff because God specifically goes to the Israelites later and says, do not cross the animals. Don't mix the cotton with the linen. Don't mix the wool with the linen. Don't mix the cotton with the wool. Don't cross the animals. So they were crossing up the animals and making some kind of weird hybrids. They were crossing up the people and it was weird hybrids. And we got Noah, it says, a man righteous in his generations. And he was pure. He may have been the last pure man, him and his sons, his wife, may have been the last untarnished, whatever, sons of God and daughters of men, man that was left. And so he was rescued. The animals that were on the ark, they were rescued because they were righteous in their generations. So the second baptism, it's not about it can't be what Peter says. It's not about the filth from the flesh. It's not what it's about. It's got to be about something else. 
Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? I'm the, I'm the lesser, and you're wanting the lesser to baptize the greater? I'm a, I'm a, a new young believer, and you're the, you're the high priest of the tabernacle. And you're saying, baptize me? And Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up and immediately from the water, immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Did Jesus have filthy flesh? He might have been a tad dusty. It was a dusty climate. He's going barefooted, you know, with the sandals or what. But he was not filthy. So why did he allow himself to be baptized by John if he wasn't covered with the corruption of sin or the corruption of death? I wonder, I mean, I've said before, and maybe wrongly, but if Jesus' body never saw corruption, I guess he never got a cold or the flu because that would be corruption. I don't, I don't know. I couldn't say that for sure. But, but um, he was not filled with sin in any way. But John recognized, the first thing we've got to recognize is this was a baptism, it says, of repentance. If you go back to verse 7, talking about John baptizing people in the Jordan, 3 verse 7, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him, he said, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath, of com wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, repentance, repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every good tree, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, repentance, repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The best we can do is baptize for repentance. That's the best we can do. We, the accepting of Christ is the accepting of the Holy Spirit and with fire. The baptizing in the water at best can only do repentance, right? He recognizes that his baptism was just a band-aid, but it wasn't salvation. These people were coming, recognizing that the blood of bulls and goats wasn't keeping them clean enough. There was still guilt. I could sacrifice the goat on atonement, and on my way home, my kid irritates me, and, um, and, I, and I yell at his mama, and I kick my donkey. And just like that, I, I need to just turn around right then and go get another goat to kill, another lamb to kill. The blood of bulls and goats wasn't doing it. It wasn't enough. I needed repentance. I needed forgiveness. I needed inner pitch and outer pitch. But all I had was this symbol, and the symbol wasn't enough. And so, so John is working on these people's hearts and talking to them about turning themselves to the Most High God, returning to Him, returning to Him, pointing them to the Messiah, and, and pointing them to this point of redemption that they needed to have. He recognized that the bulls and goats was not enough to keep people in repentance and following the Most High God. As many as you kill, we need to kill another one. Tonight, if you come back tonight, we're going to talk about Naaman and his Naaman 
and where he comes to Elisha and, 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 asks, and ends up being baptized. We'll talk about that baptism tonight. It's a very similar baptism. It's a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism of cleansing of, of filth from the flesh, but also a renewing of the heart. But the Israelites, and, and here's, where this, here's where the picture is. If we go back to the Israelites crossing the Jordan River in the book of Joshua, if you recall, it says that the river, the Jordan, as they were to cross, the, the priest and Levitical priesthood were to step into the river first with the Ark of the Covenant. And when they touched the water with their foot, the water backs up. It says it backed up from Adam to Zaratan. The water of the Jordan did not flow over the Israelites. The water of the Red Sea did not flow over the Israelites. The water is judgment. The water of those two crossings, the Israelites as a people were never baptized. They were not. God's judgment was not allowed to flow over them. God's judgment flowed over the uh, Egyptians, did it not? And completely destroyed them. But God's judgment did not flow over the Israelites. It was backed up all the way. There's no coincidence that God says in his word that the water was backed up to Adam. God's judgment, when the Israelites crossed into the uh, promised land, was backed up all the way to Adam, but did not let it flow over the Israelites. It's not that they weren't being judged or reckoned with in their sinfulness or whatever, but he did not let his judgment flow over them. However, Jesus being baptized, and I would say the same part of the Jordan that the Israelites were in, he gets in there and he takes it. All the judgment that was backed up from Adam, and it flows over him. See the picture? We can't take the judgment. We're weak. I guarantee, I read all those stories about these Christians that are persecuted. One, they start sticking stuff under your fingernails, pieces of bamboo or whatever their favorite game is, start pulling your teeth without Novocaine and doing the terrible things. All of a sudden, you will see how little uh, fortitude you have promise you they start cutting body parts off branding you with branding irons freezing you and all those terrible things to do you'll see you cannot take the judgment you can't take it we're a bunch of wimps i mean i like it that way i'm kind of wimpy i like air conditioning i like padded chairs they're really nice we can't take it but jesus can and so he stands in the jordan and he lets the waters from judgment from adam the judgment began in Adam, and he lets all that judgment flow over him. And it's a picture to all those that are watching that he's the son of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. He takes all the judgment on himself. It's just a, an amazing thing that's there. It was withheld from the Israelites, but it was given to him. He allowed, him, he allowed John to baptize him because he was prophesying of the wrath of God to come upon him for the judgment due to men. Every man should have been in that river being baptized and allowing God's judgment to be over them. But instead, he said, I'll take your judgment in your place. So the third baptism, then, is for the believer in Christ. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and 38. Peter, we're reading Peter now, so we go back to Peter before. He's much younger. 
Peter says to them, so they, when they heard this, when they heard that they had crucified both Lord and Christ, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The baptism hasn't changed. It's the remission of sins. It's the restoration of the heart. It's the changing of soul from one being to another. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off. That would be us. We're the ones afar off. We are so far removed from this day. But because of these people's baptism this day, we receive Christ in our day. Because they took it and they brought it to us over time. And as many as the Lord our God will call. Then those who, verse 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayers. The act of baptism has everything to do with obedience. If I go back like I started, Matthew 28, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I commanded you. Baptism first, then the teaching. The act of baptism is about obedience. The command of Christ to be baptized is pretty cut and dried. It's a list of things in, in the list of things to get done. It's the very first thing. You know, we tell our kids in the morning, get up, brush your teeth, come downstairs for breakfast. In the first thing, it's get up. In the list of things of important, before you're brushing your teeth, you've got to get out of bed. My, per my Peruvian buddy Joel, he said like this. He goes, any father... He was talking about baptism. A lot of people are nervous to get baptized there because in the traditional way, in many churches today, they do the same thing. You've got to go to classes. You've got to wait six months. You've got to be a certain age. Can't be divorced. Whatever. It doesn't say that in the book. That's what people add to those things. That's not what the book says. The book says, repent, therefore, and be baptized. So that's pretty easy to understand. However, Joel says to these people that are confused on that, as a father, I get up in the morning... Uh, listen up, you non-room clean, non cleaning children. The dad gets up and he says, Billy, go clean your room. And the kid says, well, dad, um, I, maybe I could study up on that first and see what it means to clean my room and then to understand fully what it is you expect of me in my room cleaning and what kind of, of room maintenance you're going to require me after I clean the room this time. When, when the child responds to the father, if he was to respond that kindly, you're, you know, the father's going to respond in a couple of ways, but indifference is not one of them. He's going to be like, I will beat you with the love of the Lord if you do not get up now and go into that room and start cleaning. How much more when the Father in heaven tells us, repent therefore and be baptized. When he tells us to do it, he has a purpose behind it. It's, it's, it's the act of obedience in the flesh towards him number one is repent and the, and it's like that first baptism back there the washing of the filth from the flesh that's that's where the the repentance is what brings the forgiveness and with the forgiveness should come some sort of obedience if you're truly grateful for what was done for you there should be some sort of obedience and he says just go and be baptized i can do that 
That's what it says to do. Go back to 1 Peter. That picture of baptism is the old man being put away and a new man being brought to life. And the obedience that that new life brings, it begins with salvation and then it progresses into baptism, which is right there together. And then it progresses to the sanctification of the new life in Christ as you're growing spiritually in, in spiritual maturity. It's just the ultimate, you know, it can lead, it can be, it's a part of the, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's all in this obedience thing and seeking this baptism, seeking to be obedient. And you're so, some people are concerned about embarrassment or their age or whatever, you know, I should have been baptized years ago, I don't know why I didn't get baptized. I don't either, I don't know why. You should have done it. But like George Washington said, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Second best time, today. If it's what you need to do, let's get that done so that we're being in obedience. But, and then for those that were baptized, maybe as children too, you know, was that your volition to be baptized in that, in the, in the Catholic style or something like that? Was that your volition or was that something someone imposed on you? Because this is, needs to be a personal thing in that. But go back to 1 Peter 4 and we'll close with this. 1 Peter 4, verse 3. It talks about this person that was like Noah. Noah, one of eight souls, eight souls, it says, were saved through water. And then in verse chapter 4 it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh, for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. We've spent enough of our time, we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Back when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they, the world, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. Do you think that the word flood is there by chance? What happened to those of Noah's day who chose to walk continually in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatry? What happened to them? And they perished in the flood. The flood of dissipation that washes over us in our culture as unsaved people, it needs to be put away. And then we need to be raised out of it like the ark with the internal pitch and the exterior pitch. But what a lot of us spend a lot of time trying to do is get back out of the ark. Stay in the ark, I'm telling you. You don't want to be in the ocean at night. It's scary. It is big like you can't believe. And you're really small. Stay in the ark. Inside the ark is forgiveness and outside the ark is atonement. So I just wanted to give you that today and I, I pray that it was encouraging to you and enlightening to you. And if you need to be baptized, I pray that you'll be obedient in that. It's not the baptism that saves. It's the baptism that proves obedience. It's the, it's the, uh, what was the word? Redemption of sin. It's the remission of sin. It's the removing of sin. That's what it is. It's that picture of being washed and made white as snow. If you've been saved and you've been baptized, then ask, you, ask yourself, I'm not asking you, I'm asking you to ask you, why do you still walk in the way of the Gentiles? Man, I had to escape the ways of my past lifetime. 
I had to pray against those things. I had to pray and ask God to remove certain memories from my mind because whenever I started going on this positive path towards growing spiritually, these, these memories of things that I had done to other people, with other people, in accordance with other people, negative things, ungodly things, unspiritual things, I had to ask God to remove those from my memory because they sit there and convict me all the time. But God, in his baptism of Noah, he cleansed the earth, covering it with a flood, and he brought it out and he made a new earth. And he'll do the same thing for you. Get, get the salvation thing right. Get the baptism thing right. Begin to walk in the word of God. Begin to pray and ask God to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you confess your sins, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If a man says he's without sin, he's a liar. And the truth does not abide in him. And the Bible says that all liars will have no part, will, will have no part in eternity in heaven. Are you a liar? Are you lying to yourself and saying, it's okay for me to do these things, these Gentile ways that I've always done, all my friends are doing? Are you lying to yourself? If you are, you need to fix that part. You need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you. You need to ask him to remove those things from your mind that are no longer a temptation to you that would draw you away from close reconciliation with the Father, okay? All right. Father, we come together this morning, and I ask that the, the word that was spoken, that it's a convicting word, but also an encouraging word to our heart, that you were willing to save eight righteous people even when the whole earth was completely corrupted, and you were willing to save ever how many thousand animals that were righteous in your eyes in that day, and you're willing today to save any who would come. You would deem them righteous in your eyes if they would but accept Christ and receive him fully with their whole life and make him Lord and master of their life. Have mercy on us, Lord, as unfaithful and ungodly men, Lord, when we speak terrible words, when we speak in wrath and in anger, abusive words to our family members. Lord, when we look for crooked ways to do straight things, when we seek to do our own will rather than yours, have mercy, Lord. Thank you for your goodness on us and your long-suffering towards us, and your grace towards us. It's by your grace and mercy that we're saved. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to your mercy, you saved us. Thank you for washing us, Lord, for the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Even in that, you're willing to baptize us and make us new like a brand new baby, Lord. May we grow in your word and develop in the way spiritually that you have for us to develop, Lord care for our country, Lord. I pray for those in power over us. There's wicked men in power over us. There's wicked people making wicked videos, trying to lead our children astray, Lord. I pray that their eyes be blinded and their ears be deafened and their lips be shut, that they can no longer corrupt the young people of our country. Lord, I pray for the young people here and the young people of our country, Lord, that they would not be led astray by the things of earth, but they would seek to be godly men and women, seeking to do your will no matter what. Lord, I pray for faithfulness among your people strength and endurance in times of persecution lord and go before us lord i pray that we would receive the word today like the eunuch and, and go away glad willing to testify of your goodness to others in jesus name